The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Time to finish out the 15 and 60 here. Let's get right to it with, surprisingly, another two teams to go before the Utah Jazz, which 538 now projects to get the sixth seed in the playoffs. We're never getting to the fireworks factory. (laughs) (laughs) the new orleans pelicans will kick it off for us what are their fundamentals they're 29 and 26 7 and 6 since the last time we covered them just over even at net rating puts them 14th 10th in offense 16th in defense and despite being three games over 500 538 gives them a 46 percent chance of making the playoffs yeah they righted the ship after four straight losses and by the way it's been a narrative that oh man it sucks so much that they lost boogie and i agree obviously it does but oh they were really starting to figure it out i think they had won like seven straight at that point but they were winning a lot of close games which is in part why boogie had to play so many minutes and so it's and now they've lost a few close games since he's been out they finally righted the ship yesterday against brooklyn uh although they blew a 28 point lead on their way uh so it does feel like even with nikola miritich in tow this is a team that perpetually i mean really since anthony davis has arrived in fact is just fingers in the dike while another leak sprouts elsewhere and uh you know i i feel of all these teams that are in the mix right now i mean two of them are gonna have to be out they seem like the most likely to me not to make it would you agree with that yeah it's between them and the clippers because both like so the the thing with the bottom is when it's 10 teams for eight spots is it's a lot about who stays healthy and the pelicans and clippers have the largest reason to say well they might not stay healthy i mean anthony davis has missed time for various things over the years and they need every single guy basically to be healthy the pelicans do and the clippers are similar i mean they've they've been good we'll talk about them in a little bit but those two teams and so that's the concern is that i would say at full strength those are probably also the two weakest teams and so if they're the two weakest and they have the biggest health concerns of course as we know this can strike anybody but knowing what we know right now i would agree with that yeah i would say that the pels and the nuggets have the two weakest coaches as well though interestingly enough chris finch left denver to go to new orleans in the offseason i think he's done a nice job but some of these rotations from the pelicans have been i don't want to say head scratching because that implies that this wasn't predictable uh but irregular maybe even that's not the the right adjective i'm struggling here at 11 p.m at night but bad maybe bad maybe that's the word i was looking for as an example of that they've had struggles we've talked about it a lot with with rondo in the starting lineup so against philly the game before 
before the Brooklyn game, they didn't start Rondo, so congratulations, but instead they started Liggins, which has almost identical problems, and they got killed. They were outscored by 14 no, points. No, it's not in his almost identical problems. It's worse problem offensively. That, offensively. If he's a better defender, though, so that, that can help a little bit. But they were worked in his minutes. That was a game that was closer, basically, without those minutes. And then against the Nets, so shortly thereafter, Rondo starts and plays 42 minutes in that double overtime bananas game. And Wiggins only played three minutes. Yeah, and Rondo at least uh, did have uh, the shot working in that one as he did. Uh, forget what game it was earlier where he had the 18 points in the first half. But uh, it seems to me just the fact that, all right, we're going to play Liggins and we're going to get destroyed in this one game. And so now we're just going to go from that again. He's going to play three minutes the next game. I mean, when you're just starting a guy and then you get killed and then you just don't play him at all the next game, it, it really seems like very ad hoc, just a sign of a coaching staff that is searching, doesn't really seem to have a plan, doesn't really seem to, uh, because uh, I mean, to me, there there is a lineup for this team that I don't know if it works or not. Maybe it won't, but it's a theory of, hey, we're going to put a ton of shooting around AD and we're going to have a lineup where you have to guard everyone. And we're going to play off of that and hope that AD can help clean up defensively that rely on good on-ball defense from each one more and Drew Holiday and just have not have a hiding place for people on defense. And this Liggins thing is just like, well, okay, I understand if you don't want to play Rondo, right? Why don't you play Rondo? Well, we're not getting enough shooting on the, on the floor. Well, <laughs> then you're going to start Liggins and said that doesn't make a lot of sense. It's just like, it seems like they're just kind of throwing shit at the wall right now instead of if you really have a plan and a theory of lineups that, that you believe in, then you would stick with it for more than one game. And to me, you think, okay, this is what we think is going to work. And, you know, we're not going to just let a bad game or two, especially from a shooting perspective or a good game or two, change around what we're doing. We believe in this and we're going to say, all right, we need evidence to show us that it's not working but before we go away from that. And it doesn't seem like that's where they're at right now. To put to add some detail to it, lineups with Holiday, Moore, Miller, Davis, and somebody that is not Rondo or Liggins are plus 30 in terms of net rating, plus 29 to be more accurate. The Cousins lineups are great, but all of the other ones are, are significant positives too. We haven't even seen it with Miritich yet. They did it with, a little bit with Dante Cunningham and that did well, and a little bit with Ian Clark and that did well too. And those lineups, not surprisingly, they dominate offensively and then defensively, it's probably small sample size. I mean, even the biggest one of those is only 124 possessions, but, and that's Cousins and he's not on, he's not healthy for the rest of this year, but they haven't been disproven of that idea. It's just that they haven't gone to it. Yeah. And I, I would be surprised we didn't look into this, but how many minutes uh, has the lineup of Miller, Miritich, Moore, Holiday, and Davis played? I'm guessing it's not too many since Miritich has arrived. And for Miritich, it's zero. It's zero. Fantastic. Uh, Miritich, <laughs> since uh, he arrived, 36 minutes a game, although again, that is skewed because they had that double OT game uh, against Brooklyn, has not been making the outside shot 46 or sorry, 47% true shooting. And the usage for him, you would like to see a little bit higher. I mean, this is not a team. They've got Holiday and they've got Davis, and he really should be the number three scorer on this team. And it's surprising me that he hasn't been. He has not really been posted up at all. You would think there'd be chances for him to get switches, uh, for him to drive on closeouts. And, and it hasn't helped that he hasn't been hitting the three ball. You know, Hopefully that'll come around. Uh, he's only at 26% from downtown. He, he also had some communication defensive miscues late against Brooklyn, especially on baseline out-of-bounds plays where it seemed like the Pels were just tripping all over each other to allow Brooklyn to get layups late in that game. I don't know how the hell they ended up winning that game. Uh, but I 
still would like to see more versatility from Miritich and, and we've seen in his career when he's had a chance to do more than just be a spot-up shooter uh, that he's been more effective and I think that that you can even argue helps his shooting to be more in rhythm in the game as opposed to just waiting for the ball and then shooting it one thing that was really interesting i can't remember the last time this happened dante cunningham who was traded on thursday actually then played against them the next night or i guess that was saturday huh was that saturday it was saturday it was saturday. okay all right because because i was thinking like oh man you know you can't just like oh hey rashad vaughn uh is physical he didn't pass it but i guess they couldn't plausibly do that because they've already waived Vaughn. <laughs> so there's then they really wouldn't have had any kind of plausible deniability at all but it would have been nice if they could have done that to just not have to face <laughs> the guy they just traded in the well, next and he, game. and he helped and he helps the nets oh i i will file a correction i had i think i missed something in the search terms that lineup you you mentioned drew moore miller mirtich and davis they have played together 14 minutes plus 4.1 net rating fueled by actually being very successful defensively but 14 minutes is a nothing sample yes but still uh, good that they played it yeah so uh We'll get to one more stat here. Liggins has played 87 minutes so far. We were critical of the fact that he was even signed to begin with, not to mention the fact that he's played and even started. But 87 minutes, eh, they've only been outscored by 53 points in his 87 minutes so far. So I'd say that's, uh, you know, is that is that a regular? Is that head scratching? Oh, no, no, no. That's bad. Bad is, is what we call that. Well, I think we should end on the retirement of the stat because sadly with DeMarcus Cousins being out, it's not relevant the rest of this year, which is one of the ones using the nba.com impact tool that you can do is multiple players on and multiple players off or whatever you want to do and so the pelicans this year with davis cousins and holiday their three best players on the court they have about a little over 500 minutes without rondo and a little less than 500 minutes with rondo with rondo negative five net rating without rondo plus 15 fueled by a massive difference the offense actually got ended up getting a little better with rondo off the floor but then the defense dropped like 15 points because that's a 20 point swing because it's 5 1 and 15 the other yeah and rondo to me is it's been underrated how bad he has been defensively uh, since he tore his acl and even actually the first half of that season before he tore his acl uh, was not really uh, any good so in my youth uh, i had a propensity because i didn't have any money but i still like nice cars for buying you know 10 year old german cars or 10 year old japanese sports cars i own like an 88 rx7 at one point when i was in high school and then i had a, a 1991 nissan 300zx turbo that i did some mods to that was, was pretty nice but you know the big downside of 10 year old sports cars is they tend to break down i really wish that your mechanic.com had been around back then because they send a mechanic right to your home or to your office so they do car maintenance out in your driveway wherever you are they bring it to you so you don't have to drive there you don't have to worry about getting a ride home or back to the office and it's not one of those things where it's like oh hey drop it off here and we need your car for the whole day even though we're only going to work on it for an hour and a half because we just we've got all these other cars and we don't really know when we're going to be able to get to it so just drop it off here and come get it at night your mechanic they actually like work on the car the whole time that they're there and then they're done and if you're worried about like oh am i getting overcharged for the amount of time for this labor well you could just look out your window and see what whether they're working on the car or not they give you a quote up front and then that ends up being the actual price that you're going to pay they'll even show you what it would cost to get the same repair elsewhere and they back up every service with a 12,000 mile 12 month warranty all these mechanics
mechanics, obviously a concern if they're going to be coming to your house, have full background checks, and these mechanics have 10 years of experience on average. So if your car won't start, if uh, the check engine light is bugging you, if you need a, a brake job, you can call today to schedule an appointment or... I would suggest you'd like to support the show and let them know that you came from us. Visit yourmechanic.com slash capspace and get the mechanic to come to your home or office for limited time at that slash capspace URL. You'll even get $20 off your first service. So you can go to that website, yourmechanic.com slash capspace, or you can call 800-555-1212, 800-555-1212, or yourmechanic.com slash capspace. Let them know that you came from us. Uh, let's move on now to uh, the LA Clippers a little bit more positive than what we've seen in New Orleans from them. They're healthy. The LA Clippers are, are healthy. All of their rotation players have been available the last two games. Except for Patrick Beverly. Well, okay, yeah. I mean, of the guys who realistically could have returned this Of year. the guys, yeah, the guys who can play this year. So their fundamentals, just do them quickly, 28 and 26, 7 and 5 since last 1560, 15th in net rating, 11th in offense, 14th in defense, and 50-50 playoff odds from 538. And I've really enjoyed watching them since the big trade in the the main lineup the, the starting lineup not the main lineup they've been using is austin rivers avery bradley tobias harris gallinari and deandre which is just fun like you have some it, it's it's sort of in in a weird way it's sort of avant-garde because it's no real power traditional power forward no traditional point guard so that's kind of cool deandre is getting a little bit more space because there's just there isn't a way to bring help from him because all these other guys are respectable shooters and I, i've been i've enjoyed really watching them and they had that win against the win again and against detroit in a game when Blake missed a bunch of shots and they've looked good you know what I was wrong I tried to be positive after kind of a negative Pelican section Tato such has missed the last two games he's probably not gonna play Monday either so uh but in the absence it's been interesting basically distributing the guard minutes exclusively between Rivers Avery Bradley and Lou Williams you mentioned that they're bringing Lou Williams off the bench uh be very interesting to see how they're going to distribute those minutes when Taya Dosich is back my thought would be that Austin Rivers should play the least out of those four guys although Taya Dosich I mean this is his foot again so and the plantar fasciitis that's the nature of that injury is you know you really got to get a rest it's not a surprise that especially Teo, a guy who kind of was injury prone and didn't have the reputation of being you know a workout warrior shall we say in the off season um if only you could just like stub a cigarette out on the bottom of your foot to get rid of plantar fasciitis but uh, you know, I don't think that worked. Also, I don't actually know that uh, Tato such smoke just kind of looks like he does. But uh, nonetheless, um, clearly the reason Danny's not laughing at that joke is because he's muted right now. Uh, I would say that Rivers uh, contributes the least of those guys. He's the least scalable in terms of his skills, uh, adding to what other players do offensively. So that's going to be very interesting to see what the distribution is there. But uh, Tato Dosich's minutes will probably mean that Rivers is going to have to play more. And then you mentioned the forwards. You said they don't play a traditional power forward. I would make the argument that two of... Or, or three of the four guys that they play, they're actually probably closer to modern power forwards than they are to small forwards. I don't know that they have a single guy who you look at as a prototypical small forward. And, you know, obviously that was the case since Danilo Gallinari was signed to be the three to play alongside Blake Griffin. It's good that he could play his natural position. And so it's kind of similar to the way it looked when Harris was in Detroit playing with Marcus Morris, where one of those two guys was going to have a size advantage on most nights against the other team's small forward. And then they bring Wes Johnson off the bench and they're still playing uh, Tyron Wallace uh, as well uh, although poor Wallace
Wallace because the travel days count as part of your 45 days they have to like juke the travel around or like have him fly in on the same day as the game I mean it's really been totally miserable for him in that respect but and Doc Rivers has been like oh man you know it's so it's so unfair that you know they got to change the rule like we've had to rejigger the whole rotation like this and it's like well yeah but Doc like the reason that you can't do that is because your financial planning has you right up against the tax uh, all year and, and those you don't guys don't just count against the cap guys. they yeah. don't count against the cap like oh you you should make it so our free player is more flexible <laughs> It's a little yeah, bit ridiculous. The, the, I mean, the Players Association, the negotiations made it this way for a reason so that you can't just like pay some guy not an NBA salary for a long time or leave him in in this limbo where like, yeah, if he's that good, then fucking convert the guy. But, you know, they can't do that due to roster limitations or, you know, cut Cinderius Thornwell. I know you just drafted him in the second round and bought that pick. But like these guys that you have, CJ Williams and who I think is still sideline with an ankle sprain and Wallace are just so much better than him like make him an NBA player and then you don't have to complain anymore doc although it's not his decision anymore I'm guessing but uh, so it's not fair to put it on uh, on him but overall that's been the case and I'm not saying I would be doing it any differently although I probably would just cut Thornwell by this point I mean if you if you're just able to bring in like multiple guys out of the D-League who are just way better than Thornwell it's not like Thornwell is super young either and he's just been awful this year uh I think you could probably you know like if Thornwell got cut you think he would even get claimed right now i'm guessing he probably wouldn't i doubt it yeah because he has guaranteed money for next year right or does he not he yeah guaranteed at the minimum for next year so maybe that's part of why they're not going to cut him but uh yeah i look forward to their uh cap clearing to, to him staying on the roster the entire year next year as well not playing at all right up until the trade deadline and then getting traded to uh to cut his salary the same way they did with bryce johnson this year that'll be great bulls here <laughs> yeah uh, uh just make sure you save that cash to send out um you said that you've been enjoying them I mean, can you elaborate on that like they had that emotional win over detroit obviously where griffin did not play well um but you've just been enjoying the aesthetics of the team like what have you been liking about them well i think they've been they've been moving the ball around more it hasn't i mean it's sometimes it sticks with austin but not nearly as much and they've been competing on defense i think they know that their talent on that end other than some of the backup guys they can bring in like i think Walsh has done a pretty nice job there it's it's just a different type of team and so they they space the they space the floor they've been running a little bit more in transition like i i just think that the flow of it seems seems better to me than what it was early in the year i mean blake is a wonderful player but i i don't know it's it's hard to explain and also i liked in the in the pistons game that first of all they did get some serious luck i mean the pistons were missed more threes than they usually have this year and they but what one of the things that i really enjoyed that they did was they baited blake griffin former teammate into taking a bunch of jump shots and while he those went in in some of his earlier games as a piston they did not in that one and they largely kept him out of the lane and so i, I thought they they're a little bit more versatile they at moments they can be a little switchier they don't they haven't done a ton of that but they're competitive and they're they've been playing some some entertaining games i'm not necessarily saying like i've it's i've i've enjoyed them in kind of a similar way to how i've enjoyed the brooklyn nets where it's not necessarily saying oh it's beautiful basketball it's just that i've enjoyed the games they've played yeah and much like we were talking about with paul Millsap, we've almost 
almost really since he's a free agent and had barely played this year we've almost forgotten that Danilo Gallinari is on this team and he's actually played pretty well in the five games since his return from downtown shooting 12 out of 30 on three-pointers so 40 percent there and then encouragingly 14 out of 17 at the rim he won't continue to shoot quite that well but his finishing at the rim I think had gone down almost to like the low 50s his last year in Denver and so that's been nice as well I think having more spacing on the floor has helped him there also uh so that's something to watch we'll see how their defense looks I mean the combination of Harris and Gallinari is not exactly a couple of stoppers at the forward position so we may see their defense start to tank a little bit I'm not sure how much DeAndre is going to be able to clean up all of that stuff so uh all right let's get to uh Liam's Utah Jazz here just on fire right now easily the hottest team in the NBA um 28 and 28 we last checked in on them at their nadir which was eight games under 500 at 17 and 25 they've gone 11 and 3 since then as they won eight straight or nine straight now nine games. nine straight Great. nine straight and seven straight on the road so in non-garbage time they have a 1.3 net rating so it's not quite as good as what 538 is working with uh they've had a lot of blowouts where they've just continued to pour it on once we got into garbage time they have the 18th ranked offense which that's pretty damn good when you think about the number of guys who have missed time for this team and just where we thought there'd be i mean that's well above where we thought there would be and then defensively six you know still humming right along and the return of rudy gobert has been massive for them defensively and as we've brought up there's a lot to appreciate about the best rim protectors beyond just blocking shots there are a lot of guys miles turner is a good example is who can block a lot of shots but gobert affects the way that offenses think basically inside the arc i i think you can make that argument that basically anytime a guy gets inside they're thinking about him we saw this in the game against portland where they just poured it on in the third quarter blazers have some good finishers have some good drivers but gobert just affects everything and they didn't have blazers didn't have many points in the paint i think at one point they were at like six i don't know where they ended when ended up in the game and i mean gobert it's it's hard because he hasn't played as much time but it was another reminder tonight of how i wish that the all defensive teams the positional definitions were a little bit more lax because it's a little bit ridiculous that as i understand it you can't have two centers on the first team um i feel a little bit less strongly about that than i do about all nba all nba i wish it were just the best 15 players in the nba but for a defense you do have to actually field five position for a defense to make an entire defense right like all nba that to me is more about and this isn't really that logical but that's more about just let's pick the top 15 players in the nba like this year the at forward for example you know after the four forwards maybe if you want it five if you want to count butler you just do not have the guys who are as good as the centers or the the guards this year so why not be able to pick those guys as well and i, I actually would feel the same way about the all-star team too outside of the starters just pick whoever you want i mean no one cares like oh we got too many guards we can't match up it's like eh, you know that, that that's not really well especially now when they re- repick the teams anyway it's not yeah. even with those rosters yeah i mean we might see just like some crazy lineups with like no big ben uh, also uh but back back to 
Gobert, the thing that I've been most impressed by for the Jazz is that, and now they've got Jay Crowder. How did he play tonight, by the way, Jay Crowder against the Blazers? He was okay. Uh, came off the bench, hit hit a couple open shots. I, I didn't I didn't think he necessarily popped me, but he also didn't you know didn't look like out of place or anything there. He talked after the game about how he was so happy to be in a system. I think was was his terminology, but he looked fine. I'm excited to see what he can do. But also, I thought even though he didn't score a ton, Royce O'Neal was in the starting lineup because they just don't really have Crowder up to up to that level yet because he just got there. And I've been very impressed with, I guess you go with him, of course, that he's developed and also their scouting and coaching development, where in summer league, what you're looking for is guys that pop, guys that kind of look like they're too good or too are athletic enough. And in the NBA, sometimes what you're looking for is a guy that doesn't do the opposite, a guy that doesn't look like, oh man, this guy can't play. And Royce O'Neal, like he was out when he was out there against the Blazers, a very good team, a, a very a very potential playoff team. He looked fine. He looked, he looked good out there. He defended Harkless some of the time, defended various guys, defended CJ for some of the time. And I thought I thought he did well. And that's another huge win for them. And he got that last roster spot over Ball and Boy, and Ball and Boy had guaranteed money. That's an interesting point that you just made there is that outside of your best players, the NBA to me increasingly has become more about not having weaknesses than it is even necessarily having great strengths with your support players. I mean, if you look at it, right, like back in the day, the 20th best center in the league, he would just post up, right? Like he was just expected to post up and maybe score 15 points a game. Like that is what the center position was considered a a position where you had some scoring. And now it seems like on the wing, especially at center, if you can just be okay on both ends, give something on both ends, that's more valuable than having really one elite skill unless maybe that skill is just being an absolutely unbelievable shooter unless again we're talking about a guy who's really you know a foundational top one two maybe three player on a team and, and that's something that o'neill brings as you look at it it's like all right you know he's not a great dribbler uh but he's capable of hitting a shot he plays hard he runs the system he executes athletically is able to defend his position and now you have a player who is pretty useful especially in uh as jay crowder said quinn sider's system another reason why i think they're okay losing joe johnson who's playing mostly as a backup four and had not been very good this year is that they're getting so much more out of this favors gobert pairing uh this is before they played against portland but those guys are now playing 15 minutes per game together and they're playing Ekpeyuda a little bit they're also giving favors some minutes at backup center and they have a 22 net rating in 166 minutes since uh, Rudy Gobert returned that is a lineup that had always been effective up until this year and then at the start of this year was really bad people theorized that that was because uh, of Ricky Rubio where they just couldn't score having those two guys and Rubio on the floor they won this game without Rubio uh, amazingly uh I think a big part of that uh, has been that Rubio's improvement like those two guys are playing exclusively with Rubio uh, on the floor uh, up until tonight nice and rubio is a 60 percent true shooting over his last 11 games and the fact that he's just being confident both shooting the three where he's hitting 47 percent uh on only three attempts a game so i'm not going to write a ton into that uh but then he's also shooting more at the rim and being more aggressive at the rim we'll see whether you know that's something how permanent is, is this i mean they're, they're going to regress a little bit uh but is this from rubio is this just a hot streak can he be close to the player that he's been the last month or so uh, as they've got a, on this win streak uh, going forward in his career uh, really difficult to say uh, about him at this point i mean i think the fact that he you know hasn't had any injury issues this year uh, uh, until this latest hip thing uh, or at least nothing major uh, has been 
important and just being in a system or on teammates getting used to his teammates his teammates getting used to him and some of the angles that he throws passes at that's the positive the negative is you know he hasn't really been an effective scorer at any point in his career up until this time so uh, i'd say it's probably more likely that he's going to regress closer to what he's been so far but there is some hope there is and it's been nice also that you know before there was that dichotomy between when mitchell was playing with rubio and without him and it's been nice that they've kind of gotten both of those things to work overall now and also something to mention with utah is that after their win in portland on sunday they now do not play a road game until march 3rd then some of that is of course they have the all-star break but they and philly are the two teams that have like these super easy schedules down the stretch here right and that game that's on on march 3rd that's in sacramento so it's not exactly a daunting road game and so yeah they, they should be able to but they have a lot of games against good teams san antonio before the break portland again and houston right after the break and minnesota so they're going to have to you know show that but they've been beating good teams for a while now so they will have the opportunity to to make some headway they'll have to stay at least somewhat healthy just to, to because it's eight team it's eight teams make it in out of these 10 but they've been playing better than anybody else really definitely anybody else in the in the bottom part of the playoff picture but they've been playing better than damn near everybody period last thing on them i started on this point and then i got on to rubio Derek favors to me is playing probably the best defense of his career right now uh, it goes back to that detroit game that they won in detroit where he played probably the best defense i've ever seen him play in his in any game in his career he's just blocking shots he was battling andre drummond on the boards blocking drummond inside it and he's really been able to carry that over moving out on the perimeter and i think it's great to see him you know the one thing that has not been the same for him is the post game that he really used to have up until two years ago but that's not really what quinn Snyder wants to emphasize anymore and athletically he looks like he's getting back close to the player that he was before he had these knee and, and back injuries that really beleaguered him and so that's part of why i think it's been better playing with rudy gobert as well i mean and if they keep playing like this we've talked about it maybe he ends up re-signing in utah they have his bird rights and or maybe he plays so well that someone else really wants him but he doesn't really seem like he'd be on the radar of a lot of cap space teams uh, maybe you could say dallas would be the one that comes to mind they could be in the center market but uh i i really like the way that utah plays and this defense has been massive since gobert returned and uh i hope that they can continue this i mean i'm not ready to say that they're i mean they're they're at 500 right now i mean we, we can't write them into the playoffs yet even though they're 89 percent playoff odds despite being behind like four other teams uh in the standings who are right around them you know i'm not willing to say they're quite in like the minnesota okc level of team they got to keep it up for longer than this but it's possible if they keep going like this that we could be talking about them at that level by the end of the year i keep on wanting to to bring up a point that comes up in the center podcast that we've already recorded which will be the next one after this but in terms of how teams are spending resources on center so i'm, I'm just going to tease that listen to that that's going to come out i think sunday is probably when that's going to come out you should listen to it because we have a, a talk about how teams should pay centers this year but we will do the whiplash inducing shift though they've been playing very well recently and they deserve credit for that going from the utah jazz to the los angeles lakers the lakers why that's a whiplash is because they're nine games under 500 they're 23 and 32 eight and five really nice stretch of basketball 
nice win streak before they lost to Dallas. And what That's was amazing, by the way, that the last 15 and 60 we did, uh, if the Jazz had continued on the same pace that they were at, they would be like right where the Lakers are right now. I mean, the mm-hmm. Jazz, the Jazz were that far below 500, just you know what, whatever it was three weeks ago. Yes, and the Lakers are 21st in net rating, negative two, 26th in offense, 12th in defense, still doing well there, and they're not going to make the playoffs. But they've looked. It's been it's been surprisingly encouraging when they've so when Alonzo's been out, one of the lineups they've turned to is this very interesting one where again I hate the use of point guard in this term. They've been using Brandon Ingram as their primary ball handler. He's been running a lot of the offense, and they've they've looked good. I mean, the most successful lineup that they've gone with that is is the starting one, which has been KCP, Josh Hart, Ingram, Julius Randle, and Brook Lopez. They have a plus eight point five net rating. It's there's some real fluky stuff in those numbers, but there's the one thing that I really like at the core of it is the answer to getting offensive value out of a guy who can't shoot, who's not a center, is putting the ball in his hands. And I, I think that giving Ingram that sort of responsibility is a very good thing. I, I think that generally speaking, you're probably not going to have a, a 111 offensive rating when, when Ingram is your primary ball handler, but maybe they can use that as, as a lesson in some alternate lineups or some non-starter lineups moving forward to help get him going and to provide some value. Yeah, it's interesting. If you look at the front court, the power players for this team, probably, especially with the departure of Larry Nance, you might say that they are right at the bottom of the league in terms of the defense. But this defense has continued to, to play well. Now we'll see what happens with the Isaiah Thomas in the fold. We'll talk about his debut momentarily. But that perimeter trio of KCP, Ingram, and Josh Hart, who also has played it extremely well, that is a good defensive line. And I still think that Luke Walton deserves a ton of credit for the way that they have defended this season. And that's why I'm still high on him. The other reason I'm high on him is that they really push the ball in transition. They are number two in terms of percentage of misses that they turn into transition. And that's a good way to change it to Isaiah Thomas. I thought Isaiah was able to get out in transition a fair amount, get some open threes in his debut. But really the only difference I thought for Isaiah in his first game with the Lakers compared to what he was doing with the Cavs was hitting the three ball. He was four out of eight, had 16 points on nine shooting possessions in the first half, and then cooled down and ended up with six turnovers. A couple of those were on his teammates. A couple of them were he just got into trouble, especially he had one late when they were down four with like a minute 30 left. It was kind of their last gas, and he drove into traffic, jumped in the air, and then just didn't jump as high as he was used to and had to pass off and just ended up throwing it away, and, and that was kind of their last gas. So uh, my impression of him in that game was just he made some shots you know he got to the rim more in the second half Dallas is not a great rim protecting team uh but even on the finishes that he did make he just is not getting the same elevation not getting the same blow by I mean he used to make plays where you'd be like I can't believe how fast that was like this is one of the fastest players in the league you'd see him sprint off the ball a thousand miles an hour and just nobody could stay with him off the ball in that Boston system and you just don't see that from him uh, at this point so I still think he can be somewhat effective if he can make the jump shot you know that's one of the more disappointing aspects uh but outside of that you know i don't think he can be the same dynamic player unless he really you know things change for him physically because he's not getting the explosion the separation still even in what was overall a good game for him and when you say the idea of how fast he looked you could make an argument that that was about about 12 months ago right i mean obviously he was faster a little bit earlier in his career but that that's how how different he looks since the injury is that it feels like that 
long ago. Yeah, I mean, a couple of the plays that he had, I mean, he had an isolation out on the perimeter against uh, Maxi Kleba, who is, you know, he's relatively fleet of foot for a big guy, but just couldn't create the separation and threw up a brick off the backboard uh, on a three because he just, you know, was really well contested. And that's the type of guy that he really used to roast quite a bit. A uh, few other notes here on them. Josh Hart has been starting, hitting 39% for three. I'd like to see him take a few more of those. He's more of just a shoot it when you're open type of guy, not that versatile of a jump shot. Only 4.6 threes per 36 minutes. But uh, what I have liked about him is he's never, uh, and this is, he did this a little bit early. He, he made a living on this a little bit in college, but he now is basically never taking a two outside of the paint. And so he's hitting 69% at the rim and he's just been a pure role player offensively. Uh, if you combine spotting up and transition, and that makes up 70% of his offense. He's only uh, shot out of or turned it over out of 14 pick and rolls all year. And he's only got seven points on those 14 possessions. So that's not too great. Uh, one thing I do like, though, as I mentioned, is as an older rookie, he's stronger. He's tougher. Uh, he's got a huge wingspan as well. Nearly seven foot wingspan is what he's listed at. And so he is quite capable of switching against bigger players. And that's been a, a big part of some of his defensive success. And even if what he ends up being is just a rotation player i mean he has been starting during this run when they've been doing well having him under contract for four years at the lowest rookie scale money that's available right now is incredible and he's going to provide a lot of value he turns 23 in about a month so you'll get basically his whole pre-prime and then you'll have restricted rights on his prime so a, a really nice pick and we focus a lot on kuzma because kuzma has outperformed his expectations by a lot more but hart could end up being a really nice selection as well i'm gonna make a prediction i think that josh hart is gonna have a better career than Kyle Kuzma I the the offensive tools that I've seen from Kuzma I just really really like and I think there's there's the potential there offense we've said this before offense is more important than defense you know even it, but I mean Kuzma's way worse on defense than Hart is I'm going to disagree with you but Hart is going to be a, an incredibly valuable player if he can if he can stick in a perimeter rotation I mean teams are falling all over themselves to get guys like him yeah and this is one of those ones I mean how many teams I mean we, we said oh these teams could have used OG Ananobi well a lot of those teams could have used Josh Hart too right as a guy a 3 and D type of prospect I mean there were basically no wings drafted for 10 picks because I guess people felt like they weren't going to be any good but and who knows maybe Josh Hart will stop hitting his threes he won't look as good I mean it's early in his rookie season um and Kuzma I mean it's interesting I think there's a slight possibility with Kuzma that we might look back on like those first two months of his rookie season maybe not as the best couple months of his career but as the point in time when like his star was the highest maybe but i i like his feet i like his confidence he has a better head on his shoulders offensively than a lot of guys who who have the propensity to take a lot of shots so i get where you're coming from with it but i think there's a lot more that could be tapped here and especially if you change the surrounding talent here i mean i think there's there's a lot that you can do with him yeah that's true and i was high on him i was saying hey they should give him more chances at the end of games compared to ingram who they were just you know running pick and roll after pick and roll with it at the end of games so i i do think he has talent as a scorer but the reality is also that he's dropped off a little bit and that he was over his head a little bit and it just it has the pattern it's not even that like oh i've been watching his game and it's like oh this isn't gonna translate this is more just sort of like pattern recognition of and i could end up being wrong here i, I freely acknowledge this because he has a lot of things that, that i've liked uh but it has the pattern of someone who when guys come out of nowhere for that you just have to be prepared for some kind of a regression especially when it's a guy like Hart. i don't consider what he's doing coming out of nowhere right this was kind of what the scouting report was on him coming
coming out of school kuzma was doing stuff that was really you know again he showed some great footwork great touch great shot making but this was not what he was supposed to be coming out of school he's been a totally different kind of player and we can see that happen nobody thought draymond green was a future defensive player of the year either coming out of school so guys can defy expectations but i think for him i'm not sure that you know when people were talking about him as a potential future star that may be something that we're not talking about a year from now with kuzma even if he and we could talk about him as more just like you know a bench scoring forward type of guy you know a danilo gallinari type of player maybe more than you know a future star type of player yeah yeah i I think that the star the star buzz is is over that but i I think he still has a lot of talent my sister works in the service industry in chicago she's been a bartender for almost 15 years now and she just knows everything that there is to know uh, about alcohol and so we moved into this new house we invited my family out for christmas and so as i was going to pick her up at the airport i'm like oh i don't have any wine that's going to be good enough for her what am i going to do and then i was like oh yeah i have wink it as a sponsor but you know i was a little skeptical i wonder if like what they gave me was going to be good enough for someone like her and it turned out she thought it was awesome the wine that we tried was a wonderful wine company's white wine blend 25 I really enjoyed it. She was like, wow. And this is, she couldn't believe how inexpensive it was as well. Wink, spelled W-I-N-C, is an easy way to discover great wine. I don't know anything about wine, and yet I was still able to impress my sister and enjoy a wine bottle myself with Wink. And part of the reason for that was their palate profile quiz. You can answer simple questions, and then that translates into a recommendation. They ask you, like, how do you take your coffee? How do you feel about blueberries? And, you know, just fill that out for a couple of minutes and they'll send you wines that are curated to your taste and then if you rate wines they can personalize your selections even more shipping is complimentary and if you don't like a bottle they send you they'll replace it with a bottle that you'll love with no questions asked and there are no membership fees you can skip any month and you can cancel at any time so the way to get started with them try wink trywinc.com slash capspace they'll get you twenty dollars off your first shipment that's trywink trywinc.com slash capspace that slash capspace url easy to remember we talk about it all the time on the program trywink.com slash cap space and that will get you twenty dollars off your first shipment let's move on to memphis oh man i tasked poor liam with like getting us some uh andrew harrison <laughs> stats <laughs> but so uh, memphis let, let's do let's do their overall stuff though so yeah. we have it so we have it in there 18 and 37 5 and 9 since the last time and they're 24th in net rating 27th in offense 20th in defense and just a big question here there's a the the group group of teams is still a couple of these teams actually won in the last couple of days there's just a bunch of teams around 17 18 wins and that means every game is is more important if you're trying to get the best pick you can and Tyreek Evans is going to help them win a couple of games yeah that's true I mean right now the projections have them with the fifth seed in the lottery tied with the Nets ironically enough the Mavs a little bit ahead of them the Grizz are nowhere near as bad although they had a pretty miserable loss at Oakland kc without westbrook and carmelo today they just got completely blown off floor they're nowhere near as bad fundamentally as the what the bulls are going to be now with miritich gone at, uh as what the suns have been the kings but i think they could get there especially and we'll see whether gasol keeps playing well like i think we should definitely create a pool for when do they shut down evans and when do they shut down gasol like what is it april like like when how far along or, is it or, april 
Is it like March 10th? Well, but this is like the whole reason that they're like not tanking ostensibly is, I mean, maybe I think I could see them doing like what the Kings have done where they just like shut those guys down for road games inexplicably for rest, like the the next, like, uh, you know, for the last month of the season. I think it could go more that direction where they'll just kind of be out. Uh, but yeah, I agree. I mean, Tyreek could absolutely win them some games. So we'll see. And that was part of the reason why I think they probably wanted to move on from him. Um, one of the things that, and you know, we've been very kind of dismissive. Oh, they're tanking, they're tanking, they should be tanking. I mean, there are definitely people in Memphis, and this is a, t- a town and team that's used to competing, that's used to winning, and they've made the playoffs. Even that horrendous year where Conley and Gasol were out in 2016, they've made the playoffs every year since 2011. They're used to competing. So they're still trying, and the players on this team are competing hard. J.B. Bickerstaff is taking it seriously enough that he screamed at Mark Davis that he was an embarrassment, a fucking embarrassment, loud enough that you could hear it through the TV when he got thrown out the other night against the Jazz. But people in Memphis are going crazy about the free throw differential because they are worst in the NBA and in, in, I think they take four less free throws per game, four fewer free throws per game than their opponents. And this is evidence that, you know, there's a conspiracy or if it's not a conspiracy that, you know, there's just an unconscious prejudice in referees' minds that, you know, they're not getting foul calls. And of course, like every team, like, like every fan base, any game, you can point to probably five pretty egregious missed calls that went against your team. I'm sorry, you don't have anyone who gets to the foul line on this team. And they like, have a ton of guys who commit fouls. Yes, yeah, that's right. I mean, you have a bunch of young dudes who are trying to play really hard and establish themselves and foul. I mean, and, and your main guy, Marcus Hull, he's actually getting to the foul line more often this year as a percentage of the shots that he takes than last year. And the only other guy who got to the foul line on your team was Mike Conley, who probably benefited more from all the bullshit perimeter fouls than just about anyone, I would say. Uh, even more so than James Harden, because a lot of his were just feel the guy on your back and throw it up. Like he wasn't necessarily like, oh, I'm going to see your arms in a compromising position and go through your arms. This was, it was more of these, you're going to get free th- three free throws uh, with being on my back, coming around the screen type of plays. You know, Conley is not like some physical player. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, Andrew Harrison, uh, Wayne Selden, Mario Chalmers. I mean, who are like these dominating guys who get to the basket and like draw foul calls or are like vets who have the craft to get to the foul line? I mean, I'm sorry, like the reason that you're not getting to the foul line and the reason that you're committing a lot of fouls is because you don't get fouled and you foul a lot. That's why. That said, I do think they really missed Wayne Selden early in the year. He yeah. really only came back after the calendar year and they had a lot of trouble figuring out their guard rotation without him. Since he returned, 53% true shooting on 22% usage for, for a guy who's making the minimum. That's that's quite good. He's making exactly 50% of his mid-range shots so far and doing a better job on threes. And so, you know, like that, he struggled a little bit in the in the paint, but I, I think that there's, you know, there's a place for him on probably on this team, but I mean, they have a need for it, but just to create a little bit, convert some shots. And it is interesting that he's succeeding in a different way than he did last year, but I still think he's a capable player. Yeah, the 22% usage is higher than you, you would think it would be. And, and he had a, a wonderful summer league, only a second year player. It seems like he's been around for longer than that because he was in college for so long. But it, good to see that from him. I mean, if he can be around the league average in true shooting, and that's probably, you know, that 53% is probably pretty close to average for a guard uh, on 22% usage. This has been a bad offense. They need all the creation that they can get. And part of the reason for that is uh, that Andrew Harrison has been their starting point guard for a lot of the time, although they've also relied on Mario Chalmers and, and Chalmers, whom remember they cut Wade Baldwin to keep. Not that Wade Baldwin has made much 
noise on his two-way contract with the Blazers at this point but overall talk about uh Harrison first he's actually been playing better than you would have expected 53% true shooting for him he actually gets to the foul line a fair amount 30 36% free throw rate which is uh higher than I would have thought to be sure so maybe I was being a little harsh on him when I mentioned him in that that rant earlier 19% usage which is higher than it's been he certainly has been forced into a lot of plays that you know he's probably not quite ready for yet but last year 48% true shooting up to 53% this year got to the foul line a ton last year as well he's very aggressive and hitting the three ball in a way that he did not previously in his career only 27% last year this year he's at 33% and above the break threes he's been pretty icy from the corners but above the break threes 36% uh that's only 28 out of 78 so it's not a huge percentage and then uh, on long twos he's been pretty ugly at at 36% so I'm not gonna say you know he's kind of taking more shots that are wide open and he's still a guy that the scouting report is you go under on but I've been impressed at how often he's gotten to the rim he's taking 33% of his shots at the rim and while he's only making 55% of those for a guy who was a historically bad two-point shooter even back in college 55% is not terrible especially you consider the lack of spacing on this team so maybe a little bit more here than meets the eye you know I had this feeling about him before we really started looking into it that you know he's killing them and he's certainly not a starting quality point guard but that like you know he's a guy who shouldn't even be a backup and I don't think that's the case anymore that's not being fair to him I think he's he's played at a level that's acceptable for a backup point guard this year another data point which could be relevant in terms of whether this shooting is for real I mean he's also you know shooting 28 percent on on mid-rangers and 38 percent on long twos so we'll see we'll see how that works out but 76 percent from the line last year 81 percent this year and you know as we said he's getting to the line a decent amount that that's a, a fairly good sample so you know I, I think there there's some tools in here that he could be a decent shooter I don't think he's ever gonna like shoot the lights out but as a you know rotation guard teams are still looking for that I think of him more as an option rather than like a guy that you want to rely on but those players are incredibly valuable and he has a, I think it's a it's a non-guarantee for next year so I, I think they should be happy to have him as as a piece of the rotation and they'll probably be bringing in other assets because they should but you know he could certainly certainly make the team certainly be a part of the rotation next year yeah his guarantee date isn't until january 10th of next year at the minimum but yeah and and he also has size defensively and intensity defensively and that's really his defense uh and it's impressive what he has made himself into i mean remember he spent a year in the g league before he was even brought up after being drafted like he really by all accounts has changed his attitude uh he had a really really bad attitude in college and high school that was his reputation and that's changed around he really has defended as well so congratulations to him for making himself into a reasonable nba player last quick thing on them actually two of them they're the 28th ranked offense since january 1st worst e-field goal percentage worst turnover percentage they have been getting on the offensive glass though with some of their energy we've seen jerrell martin for example has been had some solid offensive rebounding jamichael green is back he likes to get on the offensive glass uh and then marcus soul and there's a lot of randomness in these numbers but we noted that they'd been much worse defensively with him on the floor in the period proceeding but in the last 15 games he's actually uh helmed a better defense they've been 103 defense rating with him on the floor and then uh 110 with him off which is actually the highest off-court defensive ratings uh, of anybody on the team in the last 15 games uh so yeah that actually uh, wasn't as depressing as we thought it would be where we go next well so it would be the suns on record but since their 
Leonard Williams team and we're giving them a little bit more substance, they're actually going to be last. So the next up is the Dallas Mavericks. The Mavericks are 18 and 39, 3 and 10 since the last 15 and 16, including a win in their last game against the, the Lakers. 22nd in net rating, 22nd in offense, 17th in defense. And I think where we have to start with this, we don't need to dwell on it because we have before, but they're dead last in net rating in clutch minutes, negative 28.9. And that has fostered an 8 and 27 record in clutch games, 116 minutes so far this year. I think they've actually been better of late. Like, weren't they like 5 and 22 the last time we looked at it? Yeah, it was was something like that. And I I want to start, I don't know how much of the the Lakers game you ended up watching, but Maxi Kleba's dunk at the Bush basically sealed that game was one of the more surprising and exhilarating dunks of the entire year because he just got all over Julius Randle and you're just sitting there like the narrative of like oh god the Mavericks are going to find a way to lose this they're playing all these you know like second string guys it's kind of the Allen Misfit toys the Lakers have been good and then no Maxi Kleba just dunks all over Julius Randle crowd goes crazy in a game that Dirk already dunked and they win the game well and it was interesting too Wes Matthews is going to miss the, their next game it looks like with back tightness uh, so he sat out and Dirk hasn't closed a, a lot of their games uh, this year but they really want I mean McDermott it was his first game with the team Dennis Smith was out there they didn't bring Berea in either uh, so they went entirely with young players and they ended up beating uh, the Lakers down the end but yeah that that was a fantastic dunk that'll be mentioned probably in our monthly wrap-up uh we saw them in person against the Warriors on Thursday hung in it for about a quarter and a half and then fell apart ended up getting blown out but what did you see from them in person I still really enjoy the confidence that Dennis Smith has he he he's getting a little bit more free reign now <laughs> wait or sorry Chris Paul actually talked about that and after their loss to the Nuggets a guy that he's invested in because I think Smith went to his camps back in the day yeah they're both and, from North Carolina from North Carolina and Smith his athleticism still pops off the screen he's a phenomenal dunker and he needs to figure a lot out I mean I think his point guard abilities are going to need to improve but I like a lot of the tools that he has and as they change the talent around him improve is probably a strong word because it's going to take some time depending on what they do with their cap space this summer but I like where he's going and there's a reason why we always say to be patient with teenage and slash young point guards and it's because it takes them a long time to adjust to the NBA so I like that I think Rick Carlisle is a fabulous coach he started he didn't start an approach but he was maybe more aggressive in it than almost any coach has been so far of saying okay we're going to make Draymond Green shoot and I think Green was four of 16 from the field in that game they guarded him with Dennis Smith right right yeah and so they started with these post-ups and Green drew a foul once early and then they and then they just kept on feeding Green the ball it wasn't really that productive he did get some offensive rebounds and that sort of stuff but I love that I mean I'm so excited for Carlisle when he can have another playoff caliber team just to see the way that he approaches this and they do have a lot that they're going to need to improve on Harrison Barnes has missed a couple games but I don't know I I just I like Dallas a lot and I think that you know the the way that they've been using the Energizer Energizer Bunnies which sadly is now retired because because Devin Harris is now on Denver but there's there's just so much here and if they can be judicious about how they spend their money this summer I think they could make a real difference yeah when I was was in the locker room Thursday and and one of the topics of conversation was uh, Devin Harris and and what he meant and so I I asked JJ Barea hey who are you going to throw back doors to because you know once or twice a game they would get that like Steve Nash the Andrew Barbosa pass where JJ Barea would bring it up the right side and Devin Harris would be on the wing and would just cut back door for a layup and and as I was asking him the the question Yogi Ferrell like piped up and he was like oh I'll run it I'll run it he said like what the the name of the action was which I, I forgot he's like yeah don't worry well, like
like, I, I got you. And so that, that was kind of a funny moment in the locker room because it, obviously everyone knew that they run that play all the time. Um, Dennis Smith, you, you mentioned him. I've said this before, but the versatility of his jump shot off the dribble is increasing. He still kind of brings the ball up pretty far in front of his body. I'd like to see if he could find a way to make that release a little bit more compact and a little faster, but his footwork has cleaned up quite a bit. He's able to hop into those shots now, get the shot off quicker instead of one, two into it. And you remember going back to NC State, one of the big stats was he shot, you know, like 19% or 23% or something uh, on two-point jumpers. And he still takes a lot of those. He takes too many of those. His shot selection, when he's not hitting it, it can look really bad. Uh, But it's a credible shot for him now, which it wasn't necessarily in college. He hit the three ball in college, but not uh, that mid-ranger. And he's going to have a lot of nights like tonight, right? Tonight, he was 7 out of 18, 16 points, 11 assists, but he had six turnovers. (laughs) And uh, so that's what he is right now, but he's being given the opportunity to spread his wings. He had 35 minutes, and I thought he continues to make a lot of pretty good passes. He'll miss guys every once in a while, but he makes the right decision, I think, more times than not, unless he's just really feeling it. I mean, he he really likes getting into it with the trash talk. Sometimes he got into it with Draymond and had some nice back and forths with him in that game against the Warriors. But I think he's he's generally right on track. You know, his vision has looked good. The jump shot looks a little bit better, even if, you know, we t- talked about some like De'Aaron Fox and talk about his true shooting as being ugly, but you know, it's just as bad for Smith. He's 47% or so all season. Uh, and then I'm looking forward to seeing Doug McDermott on this team once he's able to get going. He actually played 34 minutes, which uh, that's probably got to be pretty close to a career high for him tonight as a bunch of guys were sitting. So I'm, I'm looking forward to checking back in on them as the season goes on. Unlike a lot of these teams, as you mentioned, like I'm, I'm even if they're playing the young guys, I'm going to be more eager to watch them than maybe some of these other squads. So who uh, are we going to finish up here before we got the, the Suns? I guess this would be the Sacramento Kings. Yes, sir. The team that gave a little scare to the Minnesota Timberwolves on Sunday afternoon, 17 and 38, four and nine since the last 15 and 60. They are not doing the triple anymore, sadly enough. 30th in net rating, 30th in offense, 29th in defense. Womp womp. Yeah, but the, they have the been Suns more competitive. Have them for the worst defense now. <laughs> they have. And should we do a little post-mortem on Papa G and Malachi Richardson? Sure. Why not? So Papa G, his final stats as a king and his European-based agent had a great quote basically saying that this isn't the first time that like the Kings have been in a terrible situation and this kind of stuff with him getting released happens all the time, especially it was weird that they had guaranteed his third-year option and then they, they released him. A lot of people were saying, hey, why don't you just waive Vince Carter? And as Mark Sine said on the show a couple days ago, they would win, uh, waive Vince Carter and buy him out if that's what he wanted, but apparently they value just Vince Carter kind of being around in the locker room for the rest of the year more than they value the asset that they spent, you know, the number 13 pick in the draft on a year ago. And so a lot of these would point to, to me of, all right, maybe this means that Brandon Williams and Ken Catanella are getting a little more power and Vlade Divac is getting a little less because it seemed, you know, Papa G seemed like very much of a Divac pick. And when you see guys like the number 13 pick get waived a year and a half into their career, that usually means that someone else at least has the owner's ear or is in charge to some degree. And then Malachi, who was traded away for Bruno Caboclo, we assumed Caboclo was going to get waived, but no, they'd rather have Caboclo than Papa G as well. I mean, I guess, well, so let's, let's do the postmortem on Papa G. 473 minutes as a king, 51% shooting, only 8.7% offensive rebounds, which is not very good. You'd hope a 7-2 guy like that could kill. And then in the G League, 1,009 minutes, again, 51% shooting, only took 57 free throw attempts, which is not particularly 
particularly great. And again, was not really much, didn't do much on the offensive glass and, you know, did not appear really to have progressed much statistically this year playing in the G League. And I guess they just felt like, all right, this guy is not making any progress. So let's uh, move on from him. But the most important statistic, of course, is one summer league, five second back down violation. And it could have been more than one. They only called it once. It was glorious. So glorious. And uh. something that we looked into a little bit is the Kings have just an abundance of big men and specifically in a lot of cases, non-shooting big men. And so they have had a little bit of time with Willie Cauley-Stein at center and smaller guys on the perimeter. The the most used lineup there has been Cauley-Stein at the five, Vince at the four, Buddy Heald and Bogdan at the two and the three. And then whichever point guard is healthy. It's actually, I think at the time I looked it up, Frank Mason had played the most minutes with that lineup and he hasn't been on the four for a while because of injury. And they have a positive net rating there, which is good. I mean, of, of course, the team is 30 the net rating but there's a lot of noise that makes you think that it might just be small sample size magic with it overall yeah those lineups they are forcing a ton of turnovers but they're also allowing a, a lot of threes they allow 39 percent of opponent shots to be from downtown which would be right at the bottom of the league over a full season and the team on the other hand because the kings take a lot of mid-rangers this actually really matters that they have hit a lot of mid-rangers 44 percent on mid-rangers and so the fundamentals of these lineups aren't amazing uh but i mean it is one thing that's been successful uh, as opposed to basically anything else that, that they've tried this year um we can check in though a little bit on uh bogdan bogdanovich uh, liam has been very impressed by him he put a little ditty here uh that he's been an excellent three-point shooter an excellent mid-range shooter as well he's at 46 percent uh, on twos outside the paint uh, again as, as that's like a pretty quality shot uh, for this miserable king's offense if he can create that and that's something that he can do in pick and roll and it's impressive he's only been assisted on half of his shot which is solid for a guy that we thought was going to be more of a spot-up option he actually has been maybe their best pick and roll player when you consider the fact that he can make some passes and that he is also can just shoot that mid-range jumper which we have not seen from some of these other guys and then 41 percent on above the break threes has also been outstanding for Bogdanovich this season he's also scoring uh one point per possession which is very good in isolation a little bit less than that as a pick and roll ball handler and so yeah he's he can be a an offensive an offensive piece for them i mean we'll have to see the kings have to get a whole lot better with with their overall talent level but he has been a more productive player than anticipated and been a a real bright spot for them yeah some of the numbers too indicating that you know when he plays at small forward which he probably won't do as much i mean i don't know whether you're going to call him or buddy heel the the small forward in some of these lineups but you know if he was playing with george hill and De'Aaron fox or or maybe we'll see Mason and Fox together. But uh, at shooting guard, his net rating is negative uh, 2.0, which again is uh, pretty awesome when you're a king. But at small forward, negative 15.7, and the defense falls off a cliff. And, and that just highlights that they don't have really anything approaching a starting quality small forward on this team. And they've been starting Justin Jackson lately, and he hasn't done all that much. Um, one of the things that I've been killing Willie Cauley-Stein for for a while is his post-ups. And uh, I watched a little bit of that king Blazers game when Dame Lillard had the 50 points and so uh Cauley Stein went up for a hook shot that like hit the backboard like coming across lane that hit the backboard and then like barely grazed the rim coming back off the backboard to the side and and Calabro went to the Bob Buecher just a bit outside uh and so I was like oh let me look up Cauley Stein's post-up stats they're gonna be terrible not actually the case uh 0.87 points per possession which is pretty close to average and the one place he's been really effective is if he gets it on the left block likes to come across the middle for his hook shot uh if he gets it on the 
right block, he's really been it's been ugly. 0.68 points per possession, and you know he's definitely a black hole in there. He's not going to get double teamed. It, he'll kind of just lean in and and throw up a shot, but it does seem to be going in when he can get to that jump hook when he's forced to go to a counter move or something else. It, it doesn't work as well for him. But uh, the numbers are just slightly below average rather than what I thought would be completely terrible. I still don't think that he's going to be a post up threat, but I'll give him a little more credit than I thought I would be going in when I started doing that analysis. And one of the wild things about Sacramento's structure right now is that we've talked about how they're overstuffed with big men. Every single one of their bigs, assuming Kufos picks up his option, is under contract for next year. Yeah, maybe they can move some of those guys, but it's going to take another season probably for them to restructure. And then at that point, that's when Kali Stein in 2019 will be a restricted free agent. De'Aaron Fox, we can check in uh, on him. Part of the reason he's been so inefficient, uh, 48% true shooting on the season, is he takes half of his shots uh, on twos away from the rim, and he's only hitting 31% of those. He does shoot, which is very good for a rookie guard, especially a rookie guard on this spacing challenge team. I think some of this uh, is his ability to get on transition where he is pretty breathtaking. He shoots 60% at the rim, and then his three-pointers, he's at 32%. He's only taking two a game, but that's more than I expected him to. And just the, the three-ball looks better from him. He looks more confident. He's shooting that shot with less hesitation than he had been, especially on spot up. So I actually think that there is hope for him as a shooter. I think he can, I don't think he's going to be, you know, some 40% three-point shooter, but I think at the very least he can get to kind of the level that like, you know, a John Wall is at right now. And maybe even a little bit beyond that. A lot of him reminds me of kind of the way that Mike Conley looked when he first got in the league. I think it could take a while for Fox, but I do think he's going to get there to be a, a quality starter, despite the fact that his numbers this season haven't been great. But he's a rookie point guard. I mean, there's five rookie point guards in history, especially super young rookie point guards who have actually looked good their rookie years from a statistical standpoint. And I like the way that a big part of his identity at Kentucky was defending and getting after it defensively. Still that way. He's still really competing out there. And sure, the athletes are better. Guys are bigger and stronger and faster. But I think I think he's done a nice job there. And again, another player who will benefit a lot from having more logical and improved surrounding talent of over time. It'll take it'll take some time. I think it'll probably two, three years for them to really overhaul this, especially because they don't have the, their own draft pick next year. But I don't know. I, I still like Fox. Yeah, we'll see. As long as Vivek is the owner, I will be very skeptical of their ability to really make changes and get back to being in the playoffs. They are so far away from that. Hey, I just said they get better. I didn't say they'd make the playoffs. Let's let's not let's not put words in somebody's mouth here. You know, actually, I, I was going to wrap it up there, but with DeMarcus tearing his Achilles, I think it's interesting to take stock of what they ended up getting for DeMarcus. Uh, Buddy Heald, you know, he certainly uh, has been not a guy that we really have heard from this year. Bogdanovich uh, has been the apple of their eye. Uh, this is Heald, his age 24 season, still shooting the three ball really well. That's the, the one thing that he's been able to consistently do. He's at almost 44% on three pointers, but he's also at 44% on two pointers and absolutely never ever gets to the foul line. He's shooting one attempt per game this season. And so despite that 44% three point shooting, his true shooting is basically right about the league average. And then you consider that he's providing really very little else, not really his rebounding 
it has not been great uh and he gets actually gets on the defensive glass okay but you know and he not, never gets to the line yeah yeah i, I said that already yeah what oh, one, yeah, right. one one free throw attempt per game and then you know assists he doesn't really draw the defense not a, a great passer either so you know i think he's probably not going to be a good enough player to be a starter in a career especially since he's already 24 the athleticism the defense just isn't going to be there maybe he can be a shooting specialist maybe he can and also just the lack of versatility to his jump shot as well uh the usage has been 24 percent. that's not that that's higher than i would have expected perhaps but you know i see him maybe someday he could be like wayne ellington you know that's got like what he's been for the heat this year not what he's been previously in his career but that's kind of where i see him i don't see him having the well well enough rounded game to be a starter and he doesn't have the versatility to turn into maybe like a jj reddick type uh later in his career uh in terms of his jump shot and his speed off the ball and defensive intelligence and all that stuff uh and then they of course got the number 10 pick for new orleans there as well in addition to salary flotsam like tyreek evans that's long gone that then was exchanged for 15 and 20 15 is justin jackson he hasn't really done anything harry giles maybe will he'll be heard from still but he's shut down for the rest of the year and then of course demarcus uh, Torres achilles but but if you wanted to say that it was a choice between either trading demarcus for that package and giving him the designated veteran extension i mean can you imagine if they owed him that contract right now and he tears his achilles before he even starts that five-year deal man and i i don't think they were going to give it to him and also the it's always hard with the draft because you you don't want to necessarily kill a team for making a pick or a bad decision but the opportunities were a little bit different than the players they took i mean if they kept the 10th pick they could have taken collins they could have taken Kennard or donovan mitchell or maybe even I, I think that would have been too high for bam and then justin jackson we we both really well i, I don't know if i don't know how much og and nobody you'd watched i really liked him and then you know like the, the, there were good guys taken where they where these picks were it's just that they might not have gotten those good guys yeah and let's not write off harry giles yet i mean of course not he could come out and, and dominate next year well maybe not dominate but he, he could flash i mean he bit. was incredible in high school and yeah. a little bit when he when he, when he could actually play at duke there were some times when he looked good there too all right not last in the west at least not yet but first in liam's heart uh, and that's why we're doing them last because uh, this is his team the 18 and 39 phoenix suns a mere 2 and 11 in their last 13 they have the 29th ranked net rating in the league at negative 8.5 to the point where their players are starting fights on the court because of things that opposing team players said in podcasts about their 48 point losses their offensive rating of 104.2 is 29th in the nba and their defense now ranks a hardy 30th in the league right well so i think we get we got to be nicer to him now now that we know that they uh take slights from podcasts so i'll try and uh take it easy this segment uh but uh just just to point out uh so devin booker's been out the last couple of games with a hip pointer he got kneed in the chest uh by cody zeller in their game against the hornets so i'll just i'll just start off talking about alfred payton's first game uh with the team they played denver last night and payton had a really good game he was 19 points 8 of 13 shooting six rebounds nine assists and he just played really well he was playing a really terrible uh defensive team obviously denver and they were he was mostly attacking those murray Jokic uh pick and roll defensive combos so he was getting a lot of good stuff out of that and he opened up some interesting stuff for him i thought uh he, he was able to really uh take advantage of his driving abilities with some of the lineups they played they started dragon bender at center and they went like five out most of the time and that opened up the paint for him to drive and hit cutters uh josh jackson and tj warren great at cutting so they were really good there and the other thing that he opened up is he was able to uh unlock the switching in their lineup because previously they've been playing josh gray and 
and Tyler Eulis, who are far too small to switch on to any big man and haven't even hold up decently. So they were doing a lot of switching, and it didn't really work uh, defensively. They still weren't very strong in this game, but uh, I, I think he can open up some things in their lineups that uh, they didn't have previously. So I, I'll open up to you guys. Like, what do you, what do you guys think about the Peyton acquisition? And I don't know if you guys caught I don't know any highlights of the game last night or how Peyton played. Well, to me, it, it, the big thing is we, I had talked about about a month ago how I thought Phoenix was going to continue to be one of the worst teams in the NBA, and a big part of that was their point guard rotation with Tyler Eulis taking a step back. He showed a few signs last year, but uh, under 45% true shooting for Eulis still turns it over a fair amount. And then while he tries on defense, you mentioned the, the limitations that he has in any kind of a switch situation or even just challenging shots on his own man. And so getting those guys further down the pecking order, I think is going to be massive. Peyton, Peyton is no great shakes himself, but he's at least an NBA player, you know, a guy who's in the top 40 point guards in the league, if not a little higher than that. And given what they've had this season, I mean, that's going to be a massive, massive upgrade. So you'd have to expect that they're going to play a little bit better from here on out. I, I'd agree with that. I mean, especially if they're going to start playing Bender more at center. Uh, he had a huge game against Denver, a career high, which isn't that high, but for him, it was really good. Uh, 23 points on 9 of 14 shooting. He had three threes, uh, eight rebounds, four assists, two blocks, a steal. So he was really active the whole game. And if they can open up the paint, maybe they can open up more of, you know, Alfred Prayton's driving ability and kind of unlock some of his offensive potential uh, at what that is. But I'll just dive a little bit into how Dragon Bender's been playing recently. Obviously, he's picked it up a little bit. His usage is lower this year, uh, 14th percentile for bigs. He's still not touching the ball a ton, but he really wasn't touching it last year. Um, He really is limited to basically a a pick and pop big offensively scoring. He's not shooting at the rim at all. And when he does shoot there, he's really bad. How did he go six of nine from two uh, on Saturday? Well, he, he was playing with good motor. Uh, he had, you know, a couple putbacks, uh, a couple shots. He hit some awkward righty hook that I, I wouldn't count on him making very often. So it was a little just, I don't know, playing above his head, you know, hustling for layups. As I said, they were playing five outs, so there's more space to operate with than perhaps usual. So I think that was probably part of it. But as as a three as a floor spacer, he's really become really uh, lethal in those areas. He's 38% from three on about four attempts a game, and he's got legit gravity now. He's, he's picking and popping, and he's pulling the defense away. Jokic couldn't guard the paint at all while guarding him. So there's definitely some things to be excited about, especially with his passing. But I I wanted to get your guys' thoughts on uh, how you guys see him as a a five or a four. Because I think most people have believed long-term that like, oh, he's going to be a great five in the modern NBA. But I think there's there's some, you know, things to be worried about about in that area. So I don't know. What what do you guys think? Well, I think when you have him as a starter, he can't play the five because you're not going to be able to defend anybody. But as a second unit guy, maybe you can get away with some of those offensive heavy kind of like a different version of these groundbound guys like like Greg Monroe that have become second unit centers I think you could do some fun kind of counterweight stuff with him there but yeah I get in starting lineups he, he doesn't protect the rim well enough or rebound well enough to be a five I agree with that and his finishing around the rim like if you and I play him conventionally and pick and roll or have him in the dunker spot he doesn't have the versatility to do that he's a horrendous finisher as you have noted and doesn't really have the ability to get up off of two feet still too thin to bang with anyone inside and the rebounding becomes a major issue especially because it seems like what they're going to do is if they want to play him at center they're going to play other smalls around him and so if you're going to play Josh Jackson at four he's undersized there Devin Booker is not a good rebounder Peyton is an okay rebounder maybe he can help it in that area as a point guard but you know he's not really big enough to box out so it's something that has to be used probably pretty selectively but again 
against a team like Denver, I thought it was a, an interesting strategy to go in that direction. I mean, you might as well try it if, if you're Jay Triano. Right. And just to touch on what you guys both talked about with uh, him at center um, in those lineups, they uh, 435 possessions. And per cleaning the glass, they're zero with percentile in offensive rebounding and defensive <laughs> rebounding percentage. Uh, I, I just want to hear you say zero, zero with. <laughs> I thought I did a pretty good job of it. I don't know. I don't want to say it again. I think it'll go worse. But uh, And defensively, they won 13 defensive ratings. So they're, they're really struggling in those lineups. And even cleaning the glass uh, determines positions by like uh, player stats. And they even have, when, when he shares the floor with Chris, like they, they determine Chris to be the center in those lineups because his rebounding percentages are so bad, his block percentage. So he's really bad there. And and just in some matchups that he had, I, I, I think the switching that he was touted for coming into the draft, uh, coming out of the draft, it hasn't really been there in, in the games I've watched, at least. I thought Kemba yeah, lit I him up. I always thought that was a little overrated. You know, Schmitz was really touting that. And, you know, he gets more of these right uh, than I do. You can uh, see his opinion on Donovan Mitchell before this this draft. But that was one where watching the film, I didn't agree with him as much that he it was quite, I mean, he just doesn't quite have the timing or the length or the explosiveness to just to affect guys driving to the rim, even when it's his own man. And then as a help defender, you know, we haven't seen him be effective. Right. And and what he likes to do is play way off and he's given up a lot of easy mid-rangers. And you'd think when he does that, he wouldn't get blown by at all, but he still gets beat off the dribble some and he's given up, you know, open mid-rangers to, you know, very good players who are capable of hitting those shots. So that's not really going to work. And in his matchup against Julius Randle in the Lakers game, he got absolutely dominated in the first uh, eight minutes. That's about as bad a matchup as he can get where Randle just went through him, like whether he was driving or in the post or just knocked him back the entire time. So definitely some things to be concerned about there, although he has shown some growth in some areas. So he's going to be an interesting guy to track. I, I don't know, you know, what his position is or, you know, what his ceiling outcome is, but uh, he's definitely at least becoming a rotation player in the league. So I guess that's good for Phoenix. One small thing I want to yeah, note I mean, with him no, is just yeah, how right, is just how young he is. So he's younger than John Isaac and Lonzo Ball. Like he, he'll turn 20 next season. Or sorry, 21 next season. And that doesn't mean he's going to solve all these problems. But when guys come in, his body needs to develop. I mean, he just needs to become, move a little better, all that kind of stuff. So I, I was higher on him, I think, than Nate was early on. I have moved off of my higher position on him. But I still think there, there are ways to use him. But it's going to take a lot of work from, from better. I mean, the one thing that you can say is encouraging is the fact that he's hitting the three-pointer. That's at least one question mark that we've seen, like a box that he's checked of the things that he needs to develop. But the, the hope was that he could do more off the dribble he's certainly in the exact wrong type of system in, in terms of ball movement but he can't be a, a nice passer but that only goes so far when you, you're pretty limited in terms of your own offense and then the ability to really defend uh, at the five but um you watch some more son so, so who else do you want to focus on Liam so Josh Jackson this year has been about as terrible statistically as you can be from an efficiency standpoint he's 47 percent true shooting percentage he's down in like the 400s for the whole entire league ranking in that category so he, he's hurting them a lot right now but I actually saw a lot of things that I kind of liked from him he, he, right now he's a super aggressive player that's probably hurting his efficiencies 93rd percentile in usage uh among forwards uh using cleaning the glasses version of usage uh, uh which is shots and assists he's a really good cutter I really like that he draws a ton of fouls he's a great offensive rebounder for a lot of guys that come in as like you know highly touted athletes you want to see that athleticism project and I think you see it a lot he, he plays with a lot of force and he plays 
plays athletic. Yeah. He doesn't have Nick Young disease when he was younger, right? Like a guy who can jump out of the gym or, or Gerald Green for that matter, though. Gerald Green actually has blocked some shots recently. But uh, guys who just can really jump, but yet, you know, don't actually apply their athleticism. Like I think he does try to apply it. So he's got that in corner. Right. And I, I think the hope is that the game slows down for him a little bit. Right now, he's just making a lot of really poor decisions with the ball, which isn't that unexpected for a rookie. He, he takes a ton of early floaters and just mid-range pull-ups like early in the shot clock, which he needs to get rid of from his game. And also like just throwing a lot of passes. He actually has pretty good vision, I think, uh, but he hasn't really shown it in, in the NBA to the level that he did in college where he right now he's trying to throw a lot of home run passes. I think in the Nuggets game last night, he, he threw like three different lobs that went astray. And at a certain point, he just needed to stop throwing them. But uh, he, that's there's, there's you know reason to be hopeful for you know his ability to play off the dribble. I think his handle is you know pretty solid for a wing and he's got a good first step and some bursts to go with it. So th- there's some hope for him as an offensive creator, but it, 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 a lot of it comes down to the shot, which has been terrible, 27% from three. So it, if he can't bring the shot around, it's uh, there aren't many wings that are successful in the league uh, with their lack of shooting, especially if he's going to stick with the Suns and t- they just give TJ Warren that extension. They're, they're really running low on spacing if neither of them is going to be a threat for the outside. So that's something he's going to have to clean up. And defensively, I thought that he was, he, he the results weren't very good, but I thought like the process of how he got, he like, there were a lot of times where he'd defend a guy really well, slide in front of him at the very end, he just, you know, go for a block and have a, have a dumb foul, something like that. He fouls a ton. So there, there's some things he's got to clean up. He overhelps a lot and he's not that strong and that athletic to be like, a, you know, legit defensive stopper, but he, what he, he can be a defensive plus for the Suns if he develops, you know, his IQ and just the game slows down for him a little bit. So I, I know he hasn't had a, a good year, you know, statistically, but I think there's still reason to be excited about his future as a wing, uh, you know, for the Suns as a, I don't know if a cornerstone, but at least a, you know, starter borderline rotation guy. What, what do you guys think about him so far? Yeah, that's exactly what you want with the number four pick in a great draft. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I mean, I, certainly it's been disappointing for him, I think. I mean, if you, you would have to go down to probably, I mean, I'm trying to think of like everyone drafted below him at this point, I'm higher on until you get to maybe Zach Collins. Um, so I'm trying to think of who went nine. Oh, then Smith. Yeah, so Nilkin was eight, uh, Smith was nine. So probably Zach Collins. Definitely um, Malik Monk is not at. impressed. So he's got a kind of... No, no, he hasn't. Um, but yeah, for Jackson, if you were the age of his class, if he weren't a year older than all the rest of these guys, I might feel a little bit better about some of these discipline things working out a little bit better. But And also if he weren't shooting that 61% from the free throw line and if his form just didn't look like it was jacked up. I mean, that's when you throw all that in with then the fact that he shoots it too much as well. I mean, this is a kind of a weird environment. I'm not saying he won't necessarily be a successful player, a useful player at some point, uh, but, and he's not so nuclear athletic either, although he does play hard where he's just getting up and dunking on people. I think I noted this in the draft prospect. I think he has pretty small hands, so he's not really, you know, that hurts him finishing around the rim. You noted the 52% at the rim. Um, And his pairing with TJ Warren, if Jackson's not going to be able to shoot, well, Warren has taken such a step back uh, where his three-pointer had showed some promise his second year. Now he's basically just a non-shooter. Right. He He's really fallen back as a shooter. He's really regressed. He's down at 21% and he, he barely takes him. I think he might be even uh, one at, under one attempt a game. So, But uh, I think that's that's probably about as much as people want to hear about the Suns. But if I could just throw in three uh, quick bullets on just some of their other players. Uh, Marquise Chris looks completely lost defensively and he got suspended a game for fighting with one of their coaches and ha- you know just had a breakdown in one of their other games I watched where he just you know started fouling people because he was angry. And Devin Booker's uh, passing looks much better, and I thought T.J. Warren's uh, defense was really good. He, he did really good against uh, Kemba Walker.
Walker. He guarded him as his primary assignment and held him to a six and nineteen shooting. So just just a couple notes I wanted to get out there. Yeah, Warren in the past, you know, people really are low on his defense. Certainly coming out of college, but I think he does have quick feet. He'll get intense every once in a while. So if if he can continue to apply that, I mean, this is the thirtieth ranked defense for a reason. But uh, yeah, I mean, I I think it's not impossible to me that he could be a good defender. But the the water in Phoenix is just so polluted right now. It's, it can be tough to get a read on any of these. Well, guys. that's one point I wanted to make on the Suns. They have a lot of players that I think I would like with different surrounding guys. I think Josh Jackson is going to run into that problem with TJ Warren, as Liam was talking about before. And I hope Alfred Payton can change some of the tenor of that. Also, if they can get a little bit more athleticism and versatility at the five, let's say they get a five in the draft like Aiden, I think that could be something that could really help them. But you have a lot of these guys where it's like, oh God, you know, that's, I mean, presumably they would be drafting a spot where they would need to get him. But I mean, he just, in terms of like his own pattern recognition. (laughs) Him and Chris together. Like, I mean, that's just like, it's just one more kind of like dumb guy, you know, from the basketball. Well, isn't the the hope that they're going to get a new culture with a new coach and all that kind of stuff? I mean. Uh, Yeah, well, I mean, new owner, new management, new coach. Same uh, training staff. You got to watch it, Dave. You're going to make, you're going to make Troy Troy Daniels pretty angry with these uh, comments. if Hey, I I like Troy Daniels. He's the only guy on the team who can make a shot right now than Devin Booker so that they need him all right that'll do it for today thanks so much for listening don't forget to if you want to support us with uh wish use that cat space code you got to do it in the app but that's certainly the number one thing you can be doing right now to support our, our endeavors uh try to get us re-sponsored with the Twitter NBA show and uh we will talk to y'all on Sunday night here gonna do our center rankings uh gonna be a sparse schedule of course uh, with the all-star break coming up but this is our one chance for vacation I hope you'll bear with us and uh we'll talk to y'all on sunday night till then thanks to yourmechanic.com for sponsoring today's show they send the mechanic right to your home or office and give you a quote up front which is the actual price that you pay it so if your car won't start if your check engine light is bugging you go to yourmechanic.com slash cap space or 800-555-1212 today to schedule an appointment for limited time you'll even get 20 dollars off your first service go to yourmechanic.com slash cat space and let them know that you came from us at Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.